Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Networks and the Power Network. Thank you so much for being with us tonight for our special broadcast, Fade to Black, a conversation about race in America. I'm going to introduce my two colleagues slash guests momentarily, but we are grateful to you for tuning in tonight, and I'm optimistic slash confident that this is going to be a very inspiring hour and an enlightening hour, and hopefully it will lead to more hours just like this and more conversations um, where people exchange perspectives and understand where others are coming from. So we have a lot of great stuff for you tonight. Without further ado, let me start to bring in my uh, uh, talented colleagues. Tanja Poinsett is a coach who helps people recognize their life's purpose and how to manifest their personal long or short-term goals. After assessing her own life purpose with a coach, she obtained her certification and embarked on her own coaching career, Tanja's partnering with a local grassroots youth mentoring program to coach female teenagers as they transition from adolescent to young adult. Tanja is also one of our newest hosts here at the Power Network and Life Coach Radio Networks. Tanja, it's so great to be on the air with you live for the first time. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you very much, Russ. That was a very nice intro. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Oh, well, I speak the truth. I speak the truth. Our other panelist tonight is Gregory Nesmith. He covers, commentates, and coaches underdog stuff. He's an entrepreneur, business consultant, and leadership coach, and speaker and founder and CEO of Underdog Stuff Consulting, Coaching, and Media Company. He also has his own show. He's creator and host of The Gregory Nesmith Show, a special delivery of underdog stuff. It's a live radio show on WHCR 90.3 FM, New York City, in Harlem. I've actually been to the studios. It's a very uh, inspiring spot. It's also available via podcast, and all of his activities are inspired by his commitment to fight for underdogs. Gregory, great to be on with you, my fellow Philadelphian. Gregory, are you there? Russ, Russ, thank you for thank you for inviting me onto the show. And hello, Tanja. Hey there, Greg. <laughs> all right. So, uh, first of all, very grateful to both of you for being on. Just as background to everybody listening, so I'm white. Uh, Tanja and Gregory are both black, and obviously, our discussion tonight is on. Uh, race in America and specifically what it's like to be black in America. And uh, the police sirens are going off in the background as if on cue. I don't know what that means, but probably some (laughs) subtle meaning. Um, So let me start uh, with you, Tanja. What made you want to do do this show on this topic? Um, I think it's the stereotypes that I think we all face as black people in America is just if you see something negative on television and the perpetrator is an African-American, it kind of gets blanket 
to all African-American men. If you see, uh, you know, African-American women on television and they're behaving inappropriately or just really out of character, we all kind of get that blanket um, conception. And I think that um, it's important that people realize that being black is no different than being any other race in America. We all want the same things for our family and our children. We all want to thrive um, in our daily lives, and we are so much more than what you read on the news, or I mean what you read in the newspaper or what you see on, on, the, on the news on television. It's so much more to that, so much more to our history. Yeah, and I mean, you and your family specifically, you know, you work in finance in Manhattan. Uh, your son is a freshman in college. So, you know, both of you doing very well for yourselves and uh, you know, maybe even creating a new stereotype, a good stereotype um, for people who know the two of you. Well, hopefully through this broadcast, you know, maybe at least one person will be able to listen in and if they can just say to themselves, I never thought of it that way, it's a step in the right direction. I agree a thousand percent. Well said. Greg, what about you? What made you want to do this show? Well, first, I get to spend some on-air time with Russ Terry. So that that was definitely <laughs> one reason to <laughs> come on to the show. Uh, and and then also a couple, a couple things that come to mind. Uh, the title, Fade to Black which normally means if you're watching a show, like it's about to end, like everything, the show is over. It was a great, happy ending. And and so for me, I actually want to be on the show because I don't think we're at the point where we have this fade to black happy ending. And in a way, I feel like the conversation is just getting started with how much race has been infused into our society recently, especially in politics. And so I was happy to just be a part of that conversation. Also, I've talked about race a lot growing up and even to this day, but oftentimes it's with other minorities or other black people. So for me, the opportunity to be on your show, which I know reaches a diverse audience, to have the conversation, be able to share, and also be able to listen to a diverse group of folks, I think is, to me, part of the solution and one that I I wanted to be a part of what it's like to have this conversation with everybody and not just with those on one side or the other. Excellent. I agree uh, I'm glad Oh, go ahead, Tanja. I was just saying I, I agree with him. A lot of times when we have these conversations, it's with other black people. Um, I sometimes feel white people are a little cautious about starting this conversation with black people. I don't know if it's a subliminal, like, guilt thing going on or they just get really uncomfortable. Um, so a lot of these conversations just tend to happen amongst ourselves, which – we really have to stop that. We really have to learn to engage with one another, all races, yes. all races. And we were saying, the three of us before we went on the air, uh, about the diversity of our audiences. And, you know, I personally, at first, I invited a lot of the black people I knew because I knew that they probably would appreciate this show. But then I was like, well, wait a minute. If I just invite my black friends, then that doesn't really do any good. So I you know, made a point to invite my white friends, my Asian friends, et cetera, to make sure that you know, our conversation is heard by as many people and as many races with as many uh, backgrounds as possible. Uh, we would also yeah, and- love to hear from – oh, go ahead, Greg. No, and I was just going to say that's so important because – Having been a black man my whole life, there's times where 
I often feel like the burden is maybe on me to do the reaching out or to do the sharing, but I'm outnumbered. <laughs> There's, I, black folks only make up about 10 to 13% of the population, so it's such a big deal and, and, and something that I value that you've reached out to your network and brought them into this conversation that we're going to have tonight. Yeah, and it's been great to see the support on Facebook, you know, from uh, people that each of the three of us invited, um, signing up for the show, you know, planning to listen to our broadcast tonight. It's really cool. Um, And I'm obviously very grateful to the two of you for the outreach that you did and for the people in our network for listening. Hey, speaking of our listeners, we would love to hear from you over the course of the hour. So if you have a question or comment, feel free to give us a ring. Our call-in number is 619-924-0980. That's 619-924-0980. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you have a comment or question, it looks like we have one caller. So uh, caller with the 973 area code, press 1 on your keypad if you want to make a comment or ask a question, and we'll come to you in a little bit. All right, so Greg mentioned politics a couple minutes ago, and we're going to get into politics. We have a Trump voter scheduled to join us uh, in about 15 minutes or so, so we'll get to that. Uh, um, and I know there's a lot going on about race and politics in the news even within the last week or so, but certainly since the inauguration. Um, But I want to ask each of you some more questions um, specific to you. Uh, Greg, let's start this round with you. What's it like for you to be black in America in 2017? (laughs) Well, okay, that is a a, a big question, and I'll, I'll give you some of my initial thoughts. To be black in America in 2017, you know, it feels like you ever have a feud going on in your family or maybe amongst some people in your family for a bunch of years, and and I know the feud's supposed to be over, but yet you can still feel some of the remnants of it going on in the background, and it kind of goes unsaid, and people just feel like it's normal. But there's never been resolution. You can feel like there's still people at odds with each other. Uh, In a way, being black in America in 2017 still feels like there's this family rift that everybody's just supposed to let go of, even though we haven't really come to terms with it. Um, The only other analogy I can use, too, is sometimes I feel like I'm running into a headwind where Mm. it looks like I'm making motion and making moves and I'm doing things in the world, but yet nobody really gets to see that at times it feels like there's a force pushing against me that I'm always fighting against, which sometimes figuratively feels invisible and literally maybe invisible, but it's there, um, even at times when I try to ignore that it is. So what's an example, if you feel comfortable, a specific example of the headwind, if you will, that you personally are running into or have run into? Um, I would say personally a headwind uh, at times would be um, just the normal course of my day. Uh, Over the years being pulled over by police officers when driving uh, around the city and and let's call it maybe somewhere between seven or eight times in my life and not getting a ticket any of those times. That feels like a headwind. (laughs) I'm just minding my business. And it'd be one thing if I was pulled over and then given a ticket, then I'd feel like, okay, cool, I did something wrong. But it's frustrating to have the headwind of just being me 
and driving around, as we say, DWB, driving while black, and have that headwind. Um, or if it's not me personally, friends who have names that seem like they're more black or ethnic, and we've seen studies that say it's kind of harder or longer for me to get that interview because my name seems like it's of a certain race. And and not necessarily because of malicious intent, but just because people like to be around people they're comfortable around or that they know it may take me longer to get that next job or that next interview. You know, it's interesting that you say that. Um, a long time ago, uh, maybe last decade, I was in Chicago visiting a black friend. Uh, we went out. Uh, he was driving. We were on our way back home. He lived in the suburbs, uh, and we got pulled over. And uh, now I've been pulled over before as a white person um, for, you know, whatever, going a little over speed limit, making a turn where I shouldn't have turned, whatever. He got pulled over. He wasn't doing, as you said, anything wrong. And they actually made him get out and walk a straight line. Now, mind you, he hadn't had anything to drink. He told them he hadn't had anything to drink. And here I was witnessing how he was uh, treated differently than I was. You know, I was pulled over because I was probably going a little over the speed limit. And he wasn't, yet he was treated worse, if you will. So um, even though I was with him for that, Obviously, it wasn't me being made to walk the line. It was him. Um, so, you know, I can't even imagine what that was like um, for you. And, uh, you know, I appreciate and I'm grateful to you sharing that. And I think it, I'm, I'm sure that this hour is going to be very enlightening to me and the other white people who are listening, you know, hearing the stories um, that you share, that Tanja shares. Uh, I do want to go to Tanja. Tanja, what's it like for you to be black in America in 2017? You know, sadly, I do not see much of a difference from the time um, when my mother and father were younger than what's going on now. I think we have learned to just cover it up a little bit. I think we've learned to be a little bit more politically correct, but I agree with Greg that the family drama, the family feud is still going on. We really haven't done much in this country to address racism. We haven't uh, input any type of, uh, I don't know, racism discussion in our schools. It's We don't see television shows about it. We don't see commercials about it. Like, it's just not, uh, it's not advertised or spoke about as much as, let's say, the LGBTQ community. I don't hear as much being discussed about racism in America um, as I do other things. And I just think that we we didn't even put a Band-Aid over it. We're just kind of like ignoring it. You know, black men being pulled over and women by policemen, this has been going on for hundreds of years. And a lot of people may not agree with me on this, but I kind of almost feel segregation served black people better than this integration because I can't see how forcing yourself into a system that doesn't want you in a country that was built on racism, I don't see how that can ever change if we are not addressing it. At least when we had things on our own, we were able to control the finance in our community, the dollar recycled itself within the community, and we don't have that anymore. We don't have that. We're, it, it almost seems as if we're trying to make someone ex accept us. And if you just take a look at your own personal life, 
it's kind of hard to accept something that you're not educated about or you've never been introduced to and you're, you have some fear about it. So I don't really think much has changed. Black people are still getting the crap beat out of them by police. Our schools are just uh, horrible, you know, just to find a job, just to get a loan. Everything is three, four, five times as hard. So I really don't see... I really don't see much changing. I just think people are just more polite. I will say in the era of Trump, that politeness is going away also. People aren't even trying to be politically correct anymore. You know, this climate of hate has just festered something. And it's what Greg said. It's that old family feud that never got resolved. And here we are again, fighting again. Well, I do want to get to solutions, and I promise we'll devote the majority of the second half of the show to solutions. Um, what you present, Tanja, is a big problem, and I absolutely don't want to sweep it under the rug, and <clears throat> I don't want to pretend that it doesn't exist or that I didn't hear what you said. Um, so, you know, just as background for our listeners, all three of us, uh, Gregory, Tanja, and I live in New York City or the surrounding New York area, and here I was, you know, again, you know, quote, clueless white person thinking, oh, well, in New York, it's not as bad, you know, because it's super diverse and we have all different, uh, you know, all different races among us, 8 million people, yada, 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 um, that the racism, you know, must be more prevalent, you know, in the South or, you know, middle America or whatever. I don't know. But you're saying that even in the metropolitan New York City area that you are experiencing it uh, just as bad as when your parents were young? I would say so. I'm still afraid for my son to be pulled over. You know, um, I I, I really don't see where much has changed. I, I really don't. And, you know, I have to say that I think we've heard enough stories on the news of, you know, black men who appeared to be innocent, uh, you know, being beaten yeah. and or killed by police. Greg? Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think, Tanja, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to take a guess that some folks are going to hear what Tanja just said. And it may actually be somewhat shocking or unnerving to think, that things aren't better. And, and, and what I want to add to that is there's this saying of progress doesn't mean folks have met expectations. You know, I, I think about Donald Trump gave a speech last week, and folks were like, it was amazing, because they were comparing him to what he'd done in the past, so he had made progress. But progress doesn't mean you've done something that's acceptable. And, and, and I'll give a stat that I think will highlight what Tanja may be referencing is that folks will say, Oh, we've had a black president. There's Ken Chenault, who's the CEO of American Express. There's all this upward mobility of, of, of voting rights and of people doing well who are minorities or African American. But guess what? If I look at the unemployment rate, the unemployment rate, no matter what it is, is double for African Americans. It's been that way today, and it was that way 40 years ago. And so, uh-huh. yes, there's progress, but you can look at things where it still feels like the distance or that headwind I was talking about still seems to exist, even though I've made more distance travel, the wind is still blowing in my face. And I think that's part of uh, the, the frustration that I think people often feel is that 
there's still the remnants of the feud is not over. The family feud still exists, but progress sometimes makes it look like it's it's gone or it's not there anymore. And the progress okay. is, ahead, is, is, is coming in drips. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, until we can get more black people as CEOs of companies and more black politicians and more black teachers and principals and things like that, we're not controlling anything. So if we're not controlling the game, we're at the whim of the puppet master. We don't control a lot. Yeah, and, and the only other thing I add to is is sometimes I think the challenges, you know, I do a Russ as you mentioned, I do a show um uh for underdogs. And one of the interesting things I found is that everyone, no matter who they are, race, age, gender, feels like at some moment or sometime in their life like they're an underdog. So I may be standing here right now going, it's tough for me being a black man and I've been pulled over, and I bet you there's some white male in the middle of Kansas who's going, I got it tough too out here trying to fight with this economic system and my jobs are going someplace else. So I say that all to say that I get it, that everybody feels like they're going through something, but you know, it's where there's an opportunity for us to still acknowledge folks that we're still going through stuff too and that racism isn't gone yet. You know, and to that I say to the, you know, I guess middle America that's complaining that really doesn't see the the plight of African Americans, I bet you wouldn't trade your race to be a black person for one week. Mm. And that And that goes to even to the ones that say, Oh, they don't really have it that bad. Oh, I'm white. I'm I'm experiencing reverse racism. I bet you they would never trade places with a black person, not even for a week. Because they know. They know. Okay, so uh, I, I think that's a very compelling statement, and that would be interesting to see if that were possible. Uh, I want to ask you guys a question uh, based on something you said in the last couple minutes. Okay, so help educate me here. African-American or black, uh, as white individuals, what should we say? I'm fine with either one. Yeah, I, I, you know, black man works for me. But you, you I, both I, of you used African-American uh, in your answers. So for you... Each of you, what does it mean to say that versus black, and uh, what are the reasons that you use that uh, in our discussion even so far tonight, and what are the reasons that you use black instead? I think black is just one of those, I don't know, common terms that we use to describe one another, black, white. You know, I just think we just use it that way. But when I use the term African-American, you know, I'm saying that, I am an American of African descent. So, you know, that's what I, that's how I define African American. I am an American with African descent. Yep, yeah, and right. and I, I use them oftentimes uh, depending on, inter- somewhat interchangeably, but, you know, if I had to pick a preference, I'd probably say, um, black American because I, I'm black and, and I live in America. Um, but, yes, I use them interchangeably at times. And it's interesting and and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and okay. I don't have a total preference. Uh, I mean, my, my preference would be to to be 
for being black or African-American, to have neither one of them be held against me, uh, it would be my preference, no matter what name we're using. And, you know, I definitely don't hold either against you, and it's a shame if you feel like, you know, sometimes when people use those, that's a, a knock against you. Um, I'm, I want uh, this show tonight to be enlightening. I appreciate both of you answering that question. I think for me, I tend to use black as opposed to African-American because some of my friends are Caribbean-American. So, you know, they look at themselves as Caribbean-American. Now, maybe their ancestors came from or went from Africa to the Caribbean, and then, you know, they came from the Caribbean to America. Um, so I guess that's my thought press process for using black because it includes, you know, uh, black individuals who were born here in the States, black individuals who are, you know, whose parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or, you know, whatever generation came from Africa or, you know, people who came from the Caribbean. So that's my thought process. And I don't know, I guess I just felt compelled to explain it. Not that I No, it, it actually makes a lot of sense, Russ, and, and it is true. And, Sadly, um, we have a lot of, I don't know, I, I guess I'll, I'll say black people that are from, I don't know, Haiti or Jamaica or someplace like that. When they come to America, they kind of don't want to have themselves associated with being like an African-American. I think we're, we also face prejudice against from other black people from the Caribbean. <laughs> so... I have seen that. I have witnessed that in my lifetime. They kind of don't hold themselves to the same standard as being black Americans. So there is kind of like a, um, there's a, I, I want to say like they have a higher disposition about themselves. So that is something else that within the black community that we still need to tackle. All right. Well, uh, thank you both for your answers on that. I want to bring in our uh, fourth panelist uh, tonight. Uh, we have a Trump voter on, uh, Gary Sanson from the Philadelphia area. I've known Gary for a long time, and obviously we were, uh, in putting together this broadcast tonight, we wanted to make sure that we had a balanced view and we knew that politics would come up and that race would come up. So I'm super grateful to Gary for being on with us. Uh, Gary, are you there? I am here, Russ. Excellent. Thank you so much Hi, for being on. Hello. Uh, so I know you joined Gary within the last few minutes. Uh, of what you heard so far, uh, what do you think about it? Um, you know, most of my experience and I guess I'll start it off on you know from a political side the majority of my friends had a very difficult time uh, being excited about either candidate you know if Kasich and Biden would have ran boy that could have made a lot of difference in a lot of my friends votes so even though for the presidential nominee or for the president I voted for Trump I, I gotta say I'm not a huge Trump supporter in the same way that a lot of people would feel. I, I am more fiscally conservative, but I'm more socially liberal. And unfortunately, in today's world, our political society is such that you, you can't get a candidate like that um, to vote for. You know, so the vote ultimately has to go with which one do I feel is 
better at the time. Um, I, I joined in on the question of, I think, whether you guys prefer the term African-American or black. Um, I would say I probably use the terms very synonymously. I, I have friends that are black. I have friends that are white. I, I think you answered it probably very similar to how others that are around me would answer it, that they, they don't mind either one. Um, you know, so at least from what I've heard so far, I, I'm I'm in agreement and I, I would understand those, those answers. Well, uh, again, Gary, thank you for being on. And as background, you know, Gary and I are both from the Philadelphia suburbs. Greg is from the city, uh, all originally, and uh, where Greg and I, or Gary and I, uh, live and or are from are primarily white. So uh, I'm excited yeah, about our our discussion today because I feel like it's a way of, you know, bridging the gap and educating us and uh, learning about uh, the other side and exchanging perspectives. Also, Gary and I were talking right after the election and we had a novel concept. You know, we probably <laughs> agree on a lot more than we disagree on, which I think is a really, really, really important point. And, you know, even if somebody is Republican and somebody is Democrat, trying to see what the similarities are um, is, I think, so much better than focusing on the differences. And, you know, what uh, Gary said a second ago about social justice um, is, I think, uh, really uh, compelling and something that I care about, too. So we have that in common. And uh, again, right after the election, we we're even joking, you know, maybe we should run together as a joint Democrat and Republican <laughs> ticket on, you know, what it is that we have in common, because I think there is a lot that we have in common. All right, so uh, I know uh, Tanja and Greg have some questions for you, Gary, and uh, Gary, you have some questions for us, so I want to maybe spend uh, 10 or 15 minutes with you on, and then we'll shift to solutions. It's 8.30, so we're already halfway into the show, so thank you, everyone, for uh listening so far and if you want to make a comment or ask a question again give us a ring 619-924-0980 that's 619-924-0980 uh, when you do call in press one if you want to make a comment or ask a question uh, i did see one person earlier although it looks like that person has dropped off um so uh, one of the questions that came through, um, Gary, is uh, as it relates to race, um, what role did race play for you, if any, uh, in this past election? I would say in this past election, for me, race didn't necessarily come into play. Um, I would say the issues that I'm more concerned about are things such as poverty, uh, the social justice. I, I definitely lean more, as I said, conservatively from a fiscal point of view. I, I thought that Trump would be able to drive the economy better. I, I do believe in trying to have strong growth and low taxes and hopes that that creates more jobs and stability. Um, I did not hear, besides the rhetoric from media, things that would have turned me 
boy, I, I got to be careful saying this. I, I don't. I didn't hear anything that Trump said that was necessarily going to be a negative to poor communities or specifically the black communities. I've heard him say that he wants to improve those areas and he wants to improve the poverty line and to get jobs back. And for me, that's something that I do support. Now, will the president be able to get that accomplished? You know, will any president be able to get stuff accomplished that they try to set out? Do they all keep their promises? Anybody who's been around for a long time knows that presidents will say things during debates. And then unfortunately, when they get into office, um, it doesn't necessarily materialize. I, I'd i had a question earlier, and it's just out of my own ignorance, uh, which related to, you know, of the previous presidents that we've had, you know, what have they done for the black community? What have they done, like, specifically for the black community? Because I really don't know. Um you know, but for me, at least in this last election, I can't say it was necessarily race that had anything to do with it. It's just general economy overall and wanting people to feel that that last recession was finally over and that they would have a job and they would have better income security within our country. All right. Well, I want to follow up on what you said and also address your question. So, uh, Greg and Tanja, um, first, uh, uh, comments or follow-up questions on uh, what Gary said in his answer before I ask you uh, about what prior presidents have done as it relates to black individuals. Yeah, I, uh, this is Gregory, and welcome, Gary, and shout-out to the Philadelphia you, area being represented here. Uh, I would <laughs> say, you know, my, my initial thoughts are presidents – oftentimes get to set the tone. Uh, They get to set a direction. They call it the bully pulpit because oftentimes they can uh, potentially even shift uh, voter sentiment. Uh, Meanwhile, as we know, the Congress uh, at the national level and then our states, uh, uh, legislatures, have a a lot of the most impact on us. So for me, I think the, the, the things that felt unsettling related to race during the campaign, not rhetoric, stuff that came from Trump himself, was an example of calling out an Indiana uh, uh, judge uh, and saying that he was unfit to judge one of the cases against Trump University because that American judge from Indiana, his parents were Mexican or Mexican descent. Um, And then having someone like Paul Ryan come out and say, Trump may not be a racist, but it's the textbook definition of a racist statement. Uh, So things like that or his outreach to the African-American community being through folks like Steve Harvey and Kanye West – as opposed to his outreach to the business community being with, like, Elon Musk and other folks who actually can probably do something and make something happen. So for me, it was a matter of normally some of the things he did or said would be disqualifying. So there's definitely probably some resentment and some frustration with me that normally the things he did or said would have led to John Kasich or even Ted Cruz being the nominee, but it didn't happen. And so it brought back some feelings of just like, man – We've come so far, and yet why is he allowed to break all the rules in a way that tone and sentiment don't necessarily feel so uplifting and optimistic for people? 
I would agree with Greg. Left me. Yeah. I would oh, go agree ahead, with Greg and um to address um what Gary was saying earlier uh, about the poverty and the, the social justice and how Trump didn't say anything negative about black communities. Um I would have to say I, I I'm I'm assuming you're talking about his campaign because for as long as I've been aware of who Trump is and what he's done, he's always been a racist to me. Um, let's not forget his Central Park Five, his comments from the Central Park Five, um, about him and his father, you know, just the comments they made about, you know, not wanting black people in their buildings. Like, he's always been a scumbag to me, even before he ran for president. He's always been a scumbag. And I... I don't understand, I guess, how someone could look at Trump and think that he's going to do something in regards to poverty or anything or help the black community, not that any politician ever really does. That's a separate discussion because I don't really think you should depend on a politician to uplift your neighborhood. But um, Trump has always been a scumbag, and I, and I find it really hard to make the connection how he's going to change anything about poverty Look at his administration. No one in his administration, neither Trump, they've never led a life where they can relate to the average Joe or being poor. You know, it's just, I think, uh, what do you say, birds of a feather flock together? And when you look at his administration, from Sessions to Banner to Pruitt, like, what? gave you the mindset that this man was actually going to do something about poverty. And so I can, on one hand, I can see how middle America, middle white America can agree with that because they don't have jobs and this is about white backlash. They were upset because they had a black president for the last eight years. And in terms of touching about what you spoke about, the recession, the the state of this country when Obama took office was absolutely horrible. And so I don't hear any one, I guess, white people, I don't hear any white people ever talk about the state of the economy that this country was in before Obama took office and what he actually did to make things a little better. Now, as far as Obama being black, I really didn't expect any special treatment from having a black president because I knew as soon as he started even attempting to speak about black issues, he was going to be blackballed. So I, I kind of knew he was going to play it safe. I really wasn't expecting anything, and I don't expect politicians to change your, your neighborhood or your community. I really don't. I really do believe that's up to the people in the community. I mean, because black, white, Republican, or Democrat, I think all politicians to some degree are just full of it, and, and it is a power trip. I believe you can start the game with good intentions, but once you get in it and you see how the game is really ran, you, you have to get out. You have to get out or go with the flow. Tanja, one follow-up yeah, question degree, for you. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Gary. <laughs> no, I was going to say I, I think I share some of that frustration and the fact with politicians. And, you know, I, I see where Trump appealed to a lot of – voters that they appreciated his off-the-cuff responses. I mean, he is not a politician. He does not speak well. And I think he says a lot of things that personally I I cringe over. Um, Though at the same point, 
you, I believe he means what he says um, in comparison to another politician that they may say exactly what you want to hear, but that's just because they've been trained to tell you that's what you want to hear. And, and like you had said, the there's not been a lot done at least from what I've seen, and that's why I asked Russ to bring this question up, it wasn't to say Obama didn't do anything for the black community. I, I was curious on if the black community thought that he did, and if so, I I would like to know what. Or And if it wasn't Obama, did Bush do anything? Did Clinton uh, do anything? You know, when was, when was the last time a president actually did things to help out the black community? Um, so, I mean, I, I guess that answer that question the fact that they really haven't and I do agree it's up to us as individuals and us as little towns and communities to take care of ourselves and to treat each other with respect and to try and help out you know where we can I guess my hope was that if the overall economy could improve and if the I would say maybe the unemployed middle Americans you know, or the lower middle Americans, if they could start getting jobs and they could start working, that maybe that would help bring jobs back into their communities, which at least gets closer to those that are in poverty, you know? Yeah, no, and and, and I hear that. I I think to your question about what have any of the presidents done, you know, I think if we look at all their records, uh, they would all have varying degrees with probably a C grade at best. Um, I could yeah. look at some universal things like the Affordable Care Act was a, a rising tide that helped all ships. So it it yeah. definitely helped the black community, and it helped though a lot of communities of, of different of lower socioeconomic levels. Um, there's the My Brother's Keeper program, which I know that he enacted to attempt to to get uh, more mentorship um, and, and get the youth. Uh, more access to exposure to, as we know, education being one of the keys to, to moving people forward. And then we have things like the crime bill from the 1990s and the Clinton years that some say was a step backward. With that said, though, I will add that while it's hard to find each specific policy from each of the presidents, and I just tried to name a couple that indirectly or somewhat directly may help the black community, what George Bush didn't do, what Bill Clinton didn't do, what Obama didn't do, was talk about an Indiana judge being unfit because of his ethnicity or race background, Um, talking about how he interacts with women and grabbing them by their such and such, Um, you know, so uh, uh, and making certain accusations in a tone and manner about Mexicans who come over here undocumented. So so also my my thing is, my frustration is that while other presidents may have been C-pluses at best, they definitely weren't of this ilk and of this sentiment and of this anger and of this fear-based way to connect with the American people that to me just normally is unacceptable. And the loss of that etiquette in our political space and of statesmanship, to me, it's just like, damn, like this is where we are? There were 16 other people that were choices on that side, and then there were a couple other no, choices. Exactly. Not really that many choices on the Democratic side. So I'm just like, this is, this is what this is allowed? This is acceptable? Yeah. So it's just the frustrating that, 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 yeah, I, guess what? J, J, uh, 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 John Kasich would have caught my attention if he was running against Hillary. But, 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 but somehow 
just know that that's part of the frustration, I think, by a lot of folks who go, okay, I'm not saying that uh, Republicans are bad people, but come on, man, you had you had 16 other options that uh, couldn't we have worked something out? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I realize that some of us didn't Trump vote for Trump in the primaries. <laughs> I did not vote for Trump in the primaries. <laughs> All right, so I know there's a lot of frustration. I appreciate everybody's views. And, Gary, I appreciate you being on. I'm trying to make sure you don't feel uh, uh, ganged up on here. Um, But we have a couple callers, so I want to go to them. So caller with the 973 area code, make sure your computer is on mute and uh, you're now on the air. What is your name and where are you calling from? Yes, my name is Anthony. I'm calling from uh, New, New Jersey. Excellent. And what's your comment or question for us? Thanks for listening, well, by the way. I've been listening to the show, and I have to agree with a lot of the views been put out there. And I have to agree with uh, Ms. Tanja. Uh, this president, we accepted some of his views and some of his things that he's doing in America. And I don't really understand how he's going after Mexican-Americans you know, I know they're illegal, but they're hardworking people. And they come to this country, and they do filter money back into our economy. They buy shoes, they buy clothes, they pay rent, and people don't see that. And he is really hard on these people. I'm a black man, and a black man with a criminal past, and it's really hard for a black man with a criminal past to get a job in this country. But luckily, I'm self-employed, so I don't have to go through all that. But, you know, I look at some of these people coming out of prison, and it's really hard for them. And with a president like Donald Trump, it's going to be extremely hard. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Anthony, congrats on the success that you've had in your own life and overcoming obstacles. And uh, we appreciate you calling in and appreciate your viewpoint. And, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, the Mexican issue is something that, wasn't necessarily on the docket for this show, but obviously it's related um, given that it's another race in addition to black and especially one that there's been a lot of press around. So um, uh, thank you, Anthony, for calling in. I want to make sure that we get to our other caller and uh, that we get to solutions because we have less than 15 minutes left. So there's another caller. Uh, Your area code says 111, so I'm not sure exactly where that is, but you're now on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? My name is Gary Delabate. I'm calling from Manhattan, New York. Excellent. And what's your comment or question for us? Thanks for joining. Yeah, do you think Donald Trump has a big wiener? (laughs) Seriously? Exactly. Uh, He's a Howard Stern fan. Okay. Uh, and it's funny because I didn't put him on uh, the first couple times I saw him call, but he called in three times. So I was like, all right, let me put this yeah, guy Yeah, the Gary Delabate, right, well, as soon as he said that, I knew we were in trouble. I'm glad that all right, he didn't he say some levity too much to the conversation. Okay, all right. <laughs> I know. We all needed a so good laugh. All right, well, I guess, we've made, I guess we've made it when he calls in to exactly. our show. Exactly. <laughs> Congrats to the Power Network for uh, having somebody from Howard Stern on. All right, so I want to shift to solutions. And uh, 
uh, we've discussed earlier in the broadcast tonight, you know, what we can do in our communities. So let's go to solutions. Uh, Tanja, what is something or what are some things you think any of us can do, black individuals, white individuals, et cetera? Um, just personally speaking for myself, like I said before, I've never been involved, this much involved in politics since uh, Trump's election. I now know who my state senators are, the con- my congressmen, I have their telephone numbers. You need to make calls. You need to write letters. You need to send texts. Parents, you need to go to parent-teacher night. You need to go to town hall meetings. Like This is something we all need to do. We need to start having neighborhood watch again. We need to start being responsible for our neighbors again to some degree, our children that are walking to and from school every day. We need to start caring about one another again. Maybe we need to go back to having block parties. I don't know, but we need to have some type of dialogue. We need to become more involved. We need to be providing food to centers for people who don't have enough food. We need to be volunteering for these grassroots uh, organizations. Like It cannot just be about watching reality television, getting your hair and nails done. We need to become more involved because the things that this administration is slipping through, all the bills, everything that Obama did that he's reversing, this is going to affect all of us. We cannot just sit idly by we need to make a call, write a letter. We need to become more involved. We really do need to become more involved. Just a sidebar, but I do also get the flip side of that, why a lot of black people or African Americans aren't politically involved. And, and to just quickly touch on that, and that's because this government has screwed us for so long, you know, for so many years. We're just despondent. But until we can figure out another way to fix this, make the call send the text, write the letter, go to the meeting, demand your school hold, you know, your school teachers and principals, hold them accountable. Like these schools in the areas that are are thriving, parents are involved. They're involved. I saw it with my son's high school. Parents are involved. In the black communities, because we're working or because it's a single-parent home, I think a lot of times we just don't even have the mental strength to get up and go to a parent-teacher night or something like that. But we have to start. We really do have to start. Get off Facebook, stop watching Real Housewives of something, and go to a class meeting. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know you're not trying to be funny, but I had to laugh at you. you Stop watching Real Housewives. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, uh, Greg, I'll come to you in a second. Gary, what about you? What's a potential solution for you, my fellow white person, uh, on what we can potentially do? Well, first of all, I I love what Tanja said. Um, Totally agree. And all those things, parenting, I have a 20-year-old and I have a 16-and-a-half-year-old. Parenting by far is probably the hardest job any of us will ever have. And making sure that you're involved with those kids, the teachers, it's it's incredibly important. Um, You know, from a community point of view, making sure that you're involved and knowing what's going on. And, you know, I'd, I'd say the only more global thing that I'd like to add to that conversation is, you know, I, I see so many people that are on the sides of our political point of views. 
And my my son had posted or shared a, a meme on Facebook not all that long ago that had the first rectangle divided in two, and it had Republicans and Democrats, and essentially was like, you know, this is what all Republicans think of all Democrats, and this is what all Democrats think of all Republicans. And, of course, it was derogatory terms on both sides. And then there was a, a rectangle down below it that only had the left half of 1% and the right half of 1% it, making those comments, and that had the other 99% of us in the middle that are kind of all, I would say, rational, that aren't judgmental. Um, you know, it's more than just Republican and Democrat. It's people that are teachers, people who have been abused, people that are, you know, enjoy tennis, people that, you know, are women, are men. There's so many different ways that we can divide and or we can help bring together this country. I think it's important that we don't just assume that if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, that you automatic that that person automatically believes in everything that that far left or that far right believes that tends to be what the media is really trying to put us against each other. And I've called out both sides of my friends on Facebook, um, and I'm not on it a whole lot, but, you know, there was a very derogatory comment one of my – and I use the term friends on Facebook. We all know that they're not – all your friends are really friends. They're – kind of like long-lost acquaintances to some degree. And I had this one woman make such a racial comment against Obama, and I called her out because it's like, look, that is just so not – it's just wrong. There's just nothing about it but wrong. And we – I think we got to stop just thinking that all Republicans are one way or all Democrats are one way. Like Russ and I, my gosh, there's probably 90-plus percent of this world and the – problems and that we would totally agree upon. And I don't know whether the number is 90, 80, 70, 99, I don't know, but we probably agree on a heck of a lot that's out there, and there's very little that probably keeps us apart. But just not allowing those labels to sink in and giving everybody a chance for who they are and what they believe in. Well, uh, I love what you had to say, and I applaud you for your courage uh, speaking to your, quote, friend, as you said, uh, uh, who used the derogatory term about President Obama. I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, sometimes it's hard for any of us to have courage in the moment, to have a difficult conversation with someone who says something that's racist or otherwise derogatory. So I think uh, we can all learn from uh, Gary. All right, uh, about five or so minutes left. Uh, Gregory, let's go to you. Uh, what are your ideas for potential solutions? Cool. So uh, one quick point before solutions is Gary asked about some presidents that may have helped uh, black folks in the past. Uh, shout out to my friend who reminded me, let's go back to the 60s and the LBJ and Kennedy years when you had things like the Voting Rights Acts and things passed that truly – Legislatively, policy-wise, oh, yeah. directly no impacted right. and helped black folks. So, so, let, so there are yeah. some times when uh, the president's actually were more than a C, more than a B. That was some A plus time back then. All right, but <laughs> to, totally to agree. You. Thank you. Yeah. No, no problem. Um, and shout out to Mary for the the comment. Uh, solutions. Yeah. It's Women's History Month, and some could argue that maybe one of the most oppressed and challenged groups in on the planet are women given yes. 
certain rights they don't have, how they're treated. And for things to get better, should we ask the men to do better or the women to do better? It's somewhat of a rhetorical question, but I think we know the answer because women are likely doing the best they can, and the challenges they face in this world are likely because of men. And so when it comes to solutions, my request is similar to the situation where 13% of the population, my request isn't for that 13%. My request is for the majority, and that request would be this, to listen the next time an African-American, a black person, a person of color says that they're frustrated about something. To be curious the next time there's a woman's march and folks are going, instead of being mad that there's black women who are upset about the march, ask them why they're upset about the march. They might be upset because people say women got the right to vote in the 1920s and the black women are going, no, women in this country didn't get the right to vote to the 1960s in presidential elections, as an example. So be curious. Listen and acknowledge before you take sides or feel like someone's coming after you. Uh, also, we're not always talking about you, the white person. We may be talking about the institution, about institutional racism, things like that, but just be more open to listening, acknowledging, and be curious about why someone is frustrated, and that will go a long way towards helping things get much better. And then obviously, as Tan just said, to stay active, be involved. But there's some emotional side of things that aren't happening yet, which is acknowledge that there's some pain still there and that the majority has to do their part to make things better, just like women can't get more rights without men taking the step forward. Yeah, and I like what you said, Greg, about frustration, and it definitely was evident tonight when you spoke and when Tanja spoke, you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're both to some extent frustrated, upset uh, at, you know, what has transpired in recent months. And uh, I think uh, on the one hand, actually, it was good for me to hear that, uh, you know, because we've spoken before the show tonight, but I think your frustration level was more heightened tonight. And I appreciate you feeling comfortable sharing that emotion and being vulnerable. And uh, uh, that way those of us can hear it and experience your emotions and begin to have just a snippet of what it's like to walk in your shoes. So uh, I'm very grateful uh, to you both for sharing that. All right. So we only have a couple minutes left here. Um, Tanja is a, a permanent member here at the Life Coach Radio Network, so she and I will connect and we'll have another show on race in America um, coming up in the coming months here on the Power Network. Um, Greg, I want to go to you in a second, but Gary, uh, thank you so much. You are on your family vacation in California. Uh, you called in. You may have been outnumbered, but you know I'm infinitely grateful to you, and I know uh, Tanja and Greg are too, so Thank you so, so much uh, for being on, and uh, I know we'll be in touch uh, personally and uh, safe travels to you uh, on your way home to uh, the Philadelphia suburbs from California. Yeah, thanks so much, Russ and Greg and Tadja. Very nice to meet you over the phone. You too. Excellent. Same Same here, Gary. Thank you.
Uh, Greg, how about we give a shout-out to uh, you and your show? How can people tune in who want to hear all the great stuff that you talk about every week? Well, you can listen to the underdog stuff with Gregory Neesmith live radio show every Tuesday starting at midnight. That's a weekly show on WACR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. And you can also watch it live on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Gregory Neesmith. And you can find me online, search Gregory Neesmith. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And just a lot of underdog stuff in politics, pop culture, and our personal lives. Excellent. Well, very cool. And if you were listening tonight and you are inspired to want to be a host on the Power Network to talk about issues like race or the other parts of power, peace, one love, wisdom, empowerment, and revolution, then I'd love to hear from you. Again, this is Russ Terry, the founder and CEO, and we're always looking for more talented hosts. So you can go to our website, lifecoachradionetworks.com, to learn more. You can also email me, Russ, at RussTerryLifeCoach.com, Russ at RussTerryLifeCoach.com. Tanja, any final words from you for uh, Greg, me, and or our listeners? I just want to say thank you for the uh, the platform and, you know, just thank you for just being open to having this discussion. Well, you're welcome, and uh, thank you for educating me. I learned a lot tonight, and I know we're going to have a lot more to talk about. So uh, let's you and I talk tomorrow and uh, put a date on the calendar for April. Okay. All right, well, uh, I'm grateful to Gregory Neesmith, Hanja Poinsett, Gary Sampson, uh, our caller Anthony, even our prank caller from the Howard Stern Show, <laughs> gave us a much needed laugh. <laughs> and, uh, of course, grateful to all of you, the listeners. Uh, if you liked what you heard tonight, like us on Facebook, Life Coach Radio Network, and uh be sure to tune in. We have plenty of great episodes for you. Uh, we actually have an episode coming up with uh, members of uh, the organizers of the Women's March on Washington. So that show is coming up. Bear with me a second here. Uh, when is it coming up? Uh, March 12th. So one week from tonight at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, celebrating the Women's March on Washington and keeping the spirit alive. You can go to blogtalkradio.com slash power network. That's blogtalkradio.com slash power network. Next Sunday night, March 12th at 7.30 to hear our colleagues uh, interview the founders of the Women's March on Washington. So lots of great social justice. Yes, well, thank you, Tanja. I think so, too. Uh, lots of great social justice topics that we're talking about here on the Power Network. So uh, hopefully you can tune in for that. But again, for uh, Gregory, Tanja, Gary, and uh, myself, I'm Russ Terry. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. Uh, Have an excellent night. And final thoughts, talk to people. If you're white, talk to a black person about what their experience is like. If you're black, talk to a white person about what your experience is like and share your frustration. And uh, I think the more all of us have discussions like we did tonight, the more we'll understand each other's perspectives. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and we'll be back on the air again soon. Good night. Thanks, Russ.